Well, it's the first time, and it won't be the last if the Lord should tarry over many Sundays to come. Matthew, the book of Matthew this morning. Chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 1 through 17. I'll be preaching verse 1. The month of June will pretty much be taken up in Matthew 1, 1 to 17. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharaohs and Zerah of Thamar, and Pharaohs begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Amimadab, and Amimadab begat Naasen, and Naasen begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Roboam. And Roboam begat Abiah. And Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat. And Josaphat begat Joram. And Joram begat Ozias. And Ozias begot Joatham, and Joatham begot Achis, and Achis begot Ezekias, and Ezekias begot Manassas, and Manassas begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josias, and Josias begot Jeconias, and his brethren about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot Salathiel. And Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abihud, and Abihud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadak, and Sadak begat Achim, and Achim begat Elihud, and Elihud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathen, and Mathen begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christos, Christ, Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations generations. Father, there's a special press upon our souls as we think upon a new study like we're beginning this morning in Matthew. It is such a healthy exercise for a congregation week in and week out to wade into the blessedness of a gospel presentation of Christ. We've done it in Luke. We've done it in John together. And now this morning we begin to do it in Matthew, 
are very conscious of our dependency upon Thee for all things seen in the Scriptures, for all things to be savored in the Scriptures, and for all things to be shown to others from the Scriptures. And so help us this morning to see some things together that we might savor them in the coming days of this week and even have a fresh word from above to share with others concerning the blessedness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for each one that is here. We pray for the specific blessing upon your people that are gathered this morning in this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor took the British throne in 1952. She's better known as Elizabeth II. She actually celebrated her Platinum Jubilee back in February of this year, 2022. But much of the official celebration of her 70 years as queen is taking place this week. And it will continue to take place over upcoming months of this year. Elizabeth II holds nine royal thrones. She became the longest-serving British monarch back in 2015. Among the oddities of her royal reign is a 1314 statue, the year 1314, a statute that gives to her ownership of all the dolphins and whales in British waters. I guess if you harm a British dolphin, you got to call the queen. The heir apparent to her throne is, of course, Charles, old ugly Charles. <laughs> and then his son, William. And then, of course, his son, George. We might even say little George, but that would confuse the issue for a lot of us. Our interest in all this is rather limited as Americans. Although I did read with interest that Elizabeth II was the first British monarch to officially address the United States Congress since the Revolutionary War. So I guess you call that a warming of relations. Now that quick contemporary synopsis of British royalty and succession this morning introduces us to the way that the Apostle Matthew opens his good news account of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. What we have before us is a summary of genealogical succession to the Jewish throne, culminating in Jesus, who is, quote, called the Christ. Now, Matthew is one of those who would call Jesus Christ. And this book, In Light, is uh, structured so as to understand why he, among many others, would call Jesus Messiah or the Christ. Jewish Matthew writes to Jewish individuals of Jewish Jesus to demonstrate from the Jewish scriptures that Jesus truly is the King of the Jews, the Messiah, 
Matthew's purpose in writing is not only to establish the correct identity of Jesus as a Messiah, but to explain why, if he is, and he is, as Jewish Messiah, Jesus did not establish the promised kingdom of God when he was on the earth. So Matthew's gospel is structured so as to help us with a correct identity of the Jewish Messiah and to explain to the reader why, if he is the Jewish Messiah, and he is the Christ, then why he did not establish the kingdom of God on earth when he was here. Matthew wanted his fellow Jews to understand that God's purpose in delaying the kingdom age as promised in the Jewish scriptures has to do with people. People just like us who come to worship, love, and adore the Jewish Christ as our Savior, our connectedness to Almighty God. As we begin our verse-by-verse study, I call your attention to the word book in verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is biblios, And, of course, it yields to us the English word Bible. You have the word Bible, in all likelihood, printed on your copy of such that's in your hands this morning as we gather for worship. Now, that word comes from this word meaning book. This compels me to take a moment to think out loud with you about the book of Matthew and the whole of the book that we call the Bible. The Bible, of course, has two major parts, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. The first we commonly call the Old Testament, where it records God's dealings with the Jewish people on the basis of the covenant or the testimony that God gave through Moses at Sinai. Almost everything Genesis to Malachi is uniquely packaged around that presentation of covenant, the covenant under the law. The second part of our Bible, the New Testament, the New Covenant, we call it such for because it deals with God as he deals with all people through uh, the Jewish Christ or the Jewish Messiah. It is frankly embarrassing how much of my life I lived as a young boy saved without a clear understanding of the connectedness between my Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Jewish Messiah. The study of the Gospel of Matthew was one of the things that God used in my life early on to deepen my understanding of the blessed connectedness between the Jewish Messiah, our Savior, literally the Savior of the world. The Old Testament revealed the righteous standard of holy God in the law and promised a deliverer so that the law could be fulfilled. The New Testament shows us the holiness of God in a person, the person of God the Son, the Savior of all mankind. 
You could, since you're right here in this portion of the Bible, put your hand in the two divisions and take the first division and say, he's coming. Second division, he's here. He's coming and he's here. Those are the two parts of your Bible. He's coming and he's here. Nine different men wrote over a period of 50 years the book of the New Testament after the ascension of the Lord Jesus. The 27 books are organized in four categories. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describe the life and ministry of Jesus, who is rightly called Christ, Messiah. The Acts record the early development of Christianity throughout the Roman world in the first century. The 21 letters, the 21 epistles of the New Testament teach Christian doctrine and practice. And then, of course, the Revelation tells us of the ultimate rule and reign of Jesus and his people in time soon to come. That's the structure of the New Testament that we study together even this morning. The first books of the New Testament written were not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first books written were likely James or Galatians. Part of my pastoral life, I would have voted for Galatians. Part of my pastoral life, I would have voted for James. I'm not going to tell you this morning which way I vote today because it doesn't matter. But the reality is, is that we do not have the Bible in our hands written in chronological order. We have the Bible based upon its library categories. And so the first category is the gospel category, and that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of the gospel category, uh, both Matthew and Luke were early written. Matthew was one of the four gospel accounts written very early in that 50-year period of New Testament inscripturation, as was the gospel of Mark. Now, most of you know this morning, it would be review for most of the congregation that the four Gospels present the Lord Jesus, the Christ, in some specific way, in some unique way, and some unique perspective. Matthew, of course, is presenting the Lord Jesus as King of the Jews. The Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as the God that serves. Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man. And John, which we've most recently completed, uh, presents the Lord Jesus as God the Son. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered unique together, and they are called the synoptic gospels. There's a sense of, of synergy. There's a sense of unique relationship and connectedness between Matthew, Mark, and, and, and Luke uh, because of their shared record of first century activities and the Lord's teaching ministry while on earth, the first advent, and the chronology of events. When we get to the Gospel of John, uh, John writes much later in the period, near the close of the first century, and his Gospel account, his Good News account of Christ, is much more uh, uh, a perspective uh, in the big picture of eternity and uh, in the whole of the Bible, as it were. Uh, but it's important, as we begin, Matthew, to think about the book, the Biblios, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. I'd also call your attention this morning to the word generation. Interesting word. 
When I look at it in the Greek, if you translated that word letter for letter, the Greek word you literally get when you translate the English word generation back into the Greek language is the word Genesis. So the verse reads, the book of the Genesis, the book of the beginning of Jesus, Messiah, Jesus Christ. The book of the Genesis. The first book of the Bible is called Genesis because it reveals the origin and the source of all things created. Here we have from Matthew the origin and source of all things regarding our salvation. Jesus is the one called the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. This log of lineage gets us pointed in the right direction regarding personal salvation exclusively by means of the Jewish Messiah. Now, before we further dissect the opening sentence of Matthew's selective review of ancestral right to the Jewish throne, let's pause just a little more this morning to think about the toll, the role, and the goal of Matthew. First, the toll of Matthew. Matthew is surnamed Levi. He was a toll tax collector for the Roman government. He was, as a Jewish adult, about as popular as a modern-day IRS agent here in America. The toll tax collectors were otherwise called publicans because of their public work in picking up money for the ruling government, Rome. The toll of Matthew, he's a toll taker. He was a toll tax taker as a Jewish adult. The role of Matthew. Matthew had repeated exposures to Jesus, who is called the Christ, while working at his job. You could not go in or out of that area uh, without passing uh, through the toll booth, the toll spot. And many times Jesus and his followers like Peter, James, and John would go in and out uh, of that toll area. And thereby there would be repeated responses and repeated engagements uh, between Jesus and Matthew. Uh, Matthew responded to the personal invitation of the Lord Jesus to become one of his followers. And soon thereafter, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Mark, that Matthew hosted a banquet for all of his fellow tax collectors so that they had an opportunity to meet the Lord Jesus, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the first recorded incidence of evangelism by food. (laughs) Fry a burger, invite the neighborhood with the purpose of introducing him to the Lord Jesus. Well, here you have the uniqueness of Matthew serving a banquet for his fellow tax collectors in order that they might meet the Lord Jesus. Matthew, of course, followed the Lord and was appointed by the Lord as one of 12 men to be full-time with Jesus for that last year and a half before crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Matthew was one of those men selected to represent the Lord's interests on earth. Matthew's role 
was as one of the Lord's sent ones or apostles, as we know the term. Toll-roll goal. Matthew wants his readers to connect to Jesus. And he wants his readers that connect to Jesus to connect Jesus to the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament as a foundation for the truth of Christ exactly as we preach it. Matthew would be disgusted with the modern Christian view that there is a God of the Old Testament and a different God of the New Testament and that the God of the Old Testament is a God of holiness and the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Why, Matthew would have said, you people are nuts. One God, three persons, and here is Jesus Christ. Matthew wants his readers to connect Jesus to all of the promises and to all of the prophecies of the Old Testament as a foundation for the truth of Christ exactly as we preach. Now that's what was missing when I was a boy. In evangelical America, growing up, because of the long history we had, and it's a good history, a long good history in Christianity in America, I could be introduced to Jesus Christ and think that Christ was his last name. And it did me no harm until I became a thinking person and wanted to probe my faith with real questions and come up with real answers before the dedication of one's soul to the Lord in totality. And one of the reasons why so many people that uh, uh, trusted Christ as their Savior in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s are no longer to be found Why? Well, because they never did. They never had the opportunity to do what we're going to do together and what Matthew is trying to help us do, and that is to connect Jesus of the New Testament to all of the promises and all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. What a blessed and thrilling opportunity we're going to have in coming weeks to consider King Jesus as he's projected to be in the record of the B-I-B-L-E. Matthew's very first sentence of introduction connects Jesus further. Note, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's very first sentence of introduction connects Jesus to Israel's most beloved king. It's the king thing that Matthew wants to grab grip our minds, our hearts, as we begin to read this good news account of Christ. It's the king thing. And so he moves David the king to the top of the genealogical consideration so that we understand the point and the flavor of the genealogy that is going to be developed beyond it. But he not only connects Jesus to Israel's most beloved king, David, He also connects Jesus to the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham. We know that Abraham lived long before David, but David is referenced before Abraham because of his historical rule and reign over Israel as king, beloved king. 
But the most significant thing about these two men being named in Matthew 1.1, of all the possible men that could be named, how about Adam? How about Abel? How about Seth? How about Noah? Uh, uh, how about, uh, uh, how about uh, uh, some of the other great men, like Moses? What about Joshua? Uh, why does Matthew start with David and Abraham? Of all the possible men to name, why does Matthew start with uh, David and Abraham? Well, the reason is, these are two Old Testament men to whom God made specific personal promise. Here are two Old Testament men to whom God made specific promise. Two men of direct promise from God. Abraham, David. Direct promise from God. Now I'm going to take them in the opposite order and start with Abraham and move to David and then make one final point this morning. But uh, uh, we start with Jesus as he is presented in Matthew 1.1 as the ethnic son of Abraham. Jesus was, and we would say Jesus is, Jewish. The thing that makes this connection so compelling is the specific promise that God gave to Abraham. Now, I know that there are a number of you that have looked at this time after time after time after time again. That's okay. Uh, The repetition will do you good. Back to Genesis chapter 12, very briefly. Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at that specific promise that was made directly from God to Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? Uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. So here's Abraham. He's a blessed man of God. And he is going to be a blessed person who blesses. If I wanted to be uh, 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 pressing the point of application at this moment, I could say, have you ever received the blessing of Abraham? I have. I hope you have, too. I have the blessing of Abraham upon my life. Do you? you say, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor. Well, hang in there. We'll get to it. The blessing of Abraham. He's blessed. He's going to be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless them that bless thee. Boy, there's a lot of blessing going around. Man, there's a lot of blessing going around. He's blessed, he's going to be a blesser, and we're supposed to bless him. Bless, 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 bless. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm glad to be blessed. I'd be happy to be blessed. I wouldn't want to go to church and be cursed, would you? No. So here's a lot about blessing, and I'm interested in it. I hope you're interested in it. I will bless them that bless thee, 
and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee, watch this, and in thee, don't miss this, and in thee all families of the earth be blessed. Wow. You want the blessing of God upon your family? It's going to come in some way through Abraham. That is a powerful promise. And so when you and I begin to think generations later and years later and literally centuries later, in fact, we could say millennial later, when we're thinking a long, 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 long time after that, we can say, uh, do we know anybody that would uniquely connect us to the blessing of Abraham? Oh, yeah. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The blessing of Abraham is the blessing of Jesus Christ. And so this is going to work. And on that basis, then you understand the tremendous value of what Matthew is giving to us in his New Testament recording of Christ. Because he's making those kind of connections to the man of God's blessing, namely Abraham. Matthew's point and perspective is that Jesus is the Jewish man of this promise, blessing, fulfilled. Abraham helps us to see Jesus correctly in the big plan of God. Why, knowing this, it's not hard at all to say, we're not going to talk about Buddha, we're not going to talk about Shivna, we're not going to talk about these others that supposedly are, are really, really enlightened men or gods. No, we're going to do our talking about the Lord Jesus. Because he uniquely represents the blessing, the direct blessing that God placed upon the man, Abraham. Jesus is the ethnic son of Abraham. Number two, Jesus is presented as the eminent or exalted son of David. The eminent or exalted son of David. Jesus was and is king of the Jews in the historical lineage of King David. The thing that makes this connection so compelling is, again, the same thing that made the former connection so compelling. And that is that to David was given a direct promise from God. And once again, we should look at it. So we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And uh, I'm going to read verse 8. And then I'm going to jump down to 12 to 13, and eventually I'll hit 29. And you can read the verses in between anytime you want to. But just so we have the essence of it, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David. This is the prophetic instruction to come to the ears of King David. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. I took thee from the sheep coat. David, you were a Shepherd boy, and I took you from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. I just read that verse for the sake of continuity. The thing that is unique about the timing and the expression of God's promise to David is that he is the ruler over the Jewish people at this time. Verse 12. 
and when thy days be fulfilled. That's a good way to talk about death. One of these days, my days will be fulfilled. One of these days, your days will be fulfilled. Or one of these days, you're going to die. One of these days, I'm going to die. And when thy days are fulfilled, when David's days would be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, God said to David, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, the name that we will see in the list of Matthew and the name that we would associate with verse 12 is the son of David named Solomon. Verse 12 directly connects to God's promise to David relative to Solomon. Verse 13, he, Solomon, shall build a house for my name, a temple for my name. And I, says God, will establish the throne of his kingdom. The kingdom that is established will be established forever. Who is he that can actually set on a forever throne? Here's a weekend in which the Brits are celebrating the long-standing nature of their monarchy. They've had a throne for a long, 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 long time. But Elizabeth is queen number one when it comes to years on the throne at 70. And if you saw the old girl, it's hard to believe 71 is a real reality. But nonetheless, 70. But here we're told of a Jewish throne that indeed will go on and on and on forever. That's a significant thing. It is clear that David understood that God was not just promising that his son Solomon would rule and reign after him. And one of the ways that you know that is by looking at David's prayer at the end of the chapter, the same chapter, chapter 7, and look at verse 29. David is praying And he ultimately says to God in prayer, Therefore now, let it please thee, capital T, God, to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing." Let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. And so think of this. You have David's anticipation of a forever throne. You have then the evoking of a title, son of David, that is constantly on the minds of the Jewish people whenever they start talking seriously about who their king might be. And you have this idea all connected to the specific promise of God of a forever throne. Matthew's point, Matthew's perspective is that Jesus, who is a son of David, is in fact the 
son of David that will rule on David's forever eternal throne. And if you just, before we leave 2 Samuel, verse 29, if you just look at the blessing, blessing, blessing thing again, man eleven. There is a blessing associated with Abraham. There is a particular blessing that is associated with King David, with the house of David. And so we could say, have you received the blessing of Abraham? Have you received the blessing of David? What is the blessing of Abraham? Well, it's that which connects to the promise that God made to Abraham that in uh, the, the, the seed of Abraham, all of the families of the world, every tribe and tongue and nation will have potential blessing because of Abraham and the promise that was made to Abraham. And then to David, who is the Jewish leader, and the blessing has to do with the Jewish throne and has to do with the Jewish king and the blessedness of being under that king, that king of David, that king of uh, uh, of David's promise, or if you will, the son of David, that you come and understand the blessing of David. And so I don't know about you this morning, but I came to this service with, with a twofold blessing resting upon my life. You came to the service, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, with a twofold blessing upon your life. Now, if you're feeling blessed, that's good. Some of you don't look so much like you're blessed. But... Uh, Feeling blessed, that's good. You ought to feel blessed. Because you are blessed of God. What a wonderful thing that God has had you in mind since the foundations of the world. One more thing and we'll have to be quick. Number three, Jesus, of course, is presented to us as, in the book of Matthew, the eternal Son of God. Now, you might think as you begin reading Matthew that he's pretty narrow in his presentation of Jesus who is called the Christ, and yet it is Matthew who leads us to the ending scene of Christ on Ascension Mount, where the most glorious expression of universal power and opportunity resting in the person of Jesus, the Christ. And so look with me finally this morning at the familiar Matthew chapter 28. I'll begin reading in verse 16. And read to the end of the chapter at verse 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, ecousia, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's called intrinsic authority. There is only one who has intrinsic authority, and that one is God. And here Jesus says that intrinsic authority, the intrinsic authority of God, is his. In all of heaven and in all of earth. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means that Jesus is God. All power. Verse 18. Verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Note verse 18 one more time. All power or authority intrinsically resides with the Lord Jesus. Intrinsic authority only resides in God. Jesus is God. Also note the truth that Jesus as the Christ, the eternal Son of God, is to be taught all nations. Verse 19. The truth of Christ as God. Jesus Christ as God, is to be taught all nations. People of every tongue and tribe and nation are to be given this truth of Christ as God. And then verse 20, further taught to obey the living Lord in all things commanded. I remind you that Matthew was standing there on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood to preach and the Holy Spirit formed the church on earth. Matthew said, Amen in soul, if not verbally, on the day of historical record, when Peter preached that first great gospel sermon in Jerusalem 50 days after the ascension of Christ. And the conclusion of that sermon is the conclusion of this sermon. Here it is. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter preached the truth of Matthew on the first sermon preached in the context of a local church. Just as we today preach to you the truth of Christ in the context of the local church. I trust that God will whet our appetites for much, 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 much more as we work verse by verse through the gospel presentation of the book of Matthew. Father, thank you this morning for a good start. All of us who teach and preach and share God's word get a little nervous when we begin a new thing. Getting started sometimes can be dicey. It can become a lot of complex. We're so thankful this morning for the leading of the Spirit and for the peace of God as we've preached and listened to the opening of Matthew and the presentation of Jesus the Christ, God the Son, our Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Those kind of connections will fill our hearts and minds as we continue to walk our way through the Gospel book, And we once again ask for thy blessed help as we do so. But this morning we pray for those that know you, that this week they would be fortified in you. And we pray for anyone, adult, teen, or child, 
that is not yet confident of relationship with Jesus Christ. The things that are preached and said here today, but you be used of thy blessed spirit to draw upon the soul for salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake this morning. Amen.